Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. FairHealth for older adults understands that healthcare decisions are life-changing decisions, strategic decisions, shared decisions. FairHealthForOlderAdults.org provides financial and educational information for older adults and caregivers planning for a treatment, procedure, or ongoing condition. FairHealth for Older Adults, healthy decisions for healthy aging. Explore FairHealthOlderAdults.org today. Campaign generously funded by the John A. Hartford Foundation. Hello everyone, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. But today I'm switching gears and interviewing G.P. Gottlieb for her own channel, New Books and Literature. Yes, we podcast hosts are authors too, and she has just published her debut novel, Battered, the first in a series called The Whipped and Sipped Mysteries, complete with recipes that I, for one, am eager to try. As the book jacket says, Aline Barron is the proud owner of Whipped and Sipped, a cafe that offers healthful, delectable food and drinks. Her life consists of dreaming up new recipes, raising her three children, and arguing with her ex-husband, until her neighbor and close friend is murdered. Which, as I would add, is enough to throw a gigantic wooden spoon in any good baking mix, and Aline's business is the best in town. And now, let me turn the tables and welcome your usual host, G.P. Gottlieb. Hi, Galit. I hope you enjoy answering the questions instead of asking them for once. Hi, Carolyn. I'm looking forward to it. Would you start by telling listeners how you came to write fiction? Sure. So I was a conservatory-trained musician, and I did several musical and non-musical things over the years, but I was always passionate about reading and writing. I read at least like 50 books a year, and I have a drawer full of stuff I wrote over the years, stories, songs, poems. I was associate director of a law center here in Chicago, just starting my seventh year, when I was suddenly diagnosed with an aggressive breast cancer. And the good news was that the previous year, the FDA approved a chemo cocktail that was keeping people like me alive. And again, I just got sidetracked. But the bottom line was that I kept promising myself during those horrible treatments that after I survived, I was going to focus all my energy and writing and publishing a book. And what I loved best was fiction. And why murder mysteries? So it turns out I love them. I started reading The Bobsy Twins as a child. I read all of Nancy Drew. I always read murder mysteries as a sort of um, guilty secret pleasure because they weren't literature. But I loved them. And I started thinking about characters and giving them personalities and backgrounds and always coming up with little mysteries in my head. And that's what this book turned out to be. 
Tell us why you picked this series in particular with a bakery and a cafe. Because my other passion is food. I, I love eating it, of course, and I love cooking and baking. And over the years, I developed my own style of cooking and baking. And um, it's very healthful and it's lower in sugar and higher in healthful ingredients. Uh, for all kinds of reasons, I sneak healthy ingredients into things. A cafe, I love cafes. I love bakeries. I just graduated from chocolate boot camp at the French pastry school last week. Oh my goodness. So will there be chocolate in, the, in future recipes? There's always chocolate. So because this is a mystery series, uh, we don't want to give away too much, obviously. Um, so I'm going to ask primarily about the characters. And let's start with Aileen Barron, your heroine. Uh, who is she? So she's in her mid-30s. Aileen is lonely, but extremely competent and busy. She was at college when her mother died of breast cancer. I might have put a little of my own experience in there thinking about what would have happened had I not survived. I never say it in the book, but I'm hoping it becomes clear that Aileen married too early and that she wanted to have children right away so that she could be there for their college graduations, unlike her own mother. Anyway, she's very organized and gifted at noticing little things about people. Like she can tell what customers are going to order because she watches the movement of their eyes over the display case. But when it's really, when it comes time for noticing something really important, she fails. And I'm kind of like that too. Anyway, she struggles with being non-judgmental, and she wants to be more like her best friend Ruthie who's principled and thoughtful, who never speaks ill of anyone. What has brought her to up to the point where we meet her as the owner of Whipped and Sipped? She has, well, so she has already bought Whipped and Sipped, and she has been the owner for nearly eight years. And um, she's running it with this team that she mostly loves, but there's a few people there that, get on her nerves because because that's always the case and Aileen's pretty critical about the outside about people she lives in an apartment building that is sort of unusual but it's very much like the apartment building I live in where we have a book group and it's sort of a, there's 120 apartments here but some of us have gathered together to sort of make a, a village within so there's a kind of um you know, we cook for each other when we're sick, or if somebody is in the hospital, we take care of the the spouse or the roommate. And um, I wanted that feeling, and that's what Aileen has. So when somebody who is in that is in her building dies, she takes it very personally to heart. So before we get to that part, uh, Aileen has three children between the ages of 12 and 8, two girls and a boy, plus she's taking care of her elderly father. It must be hard for her to find time to breathe. So what can you tell us about them and her relationship with them? So she's struggling to raise her kids with values. And the part about living with her father, even though he's not completely well and requires attention, he's really helpful. He's a solid presence for her, which um, which she doesn't have. Her ex-husband is not a solid presence. Um, so her eldest daughter, Sierra, is 12 and starting to mouth off in that adolescent way. 
and the ex-husband keeps putting the kids in potentially dangerous or just inappropriate situations like like he brings them to his car dealership and lets them run around without supervision or or he introduces them to women he's dating which can be confusing for children and Aileen feels like the only place she's in total control is at her cafe but of course nobody's ever really in control of anything that's a good point um and who are the other two children and yes and so then she has Quinn who's 10 who's just a wide-eyed lovely little girl who's trying her best and the older sister knocks her around a bit and her youngest is just turning eight and he's just a a pleasure at that age you know children are so wonderful before they turn into adolescence I think I sort of froze that time of my own children remembering when it was all so lovely but on the cusp of everything changing when the eldest turned 12 so that's the moment we're in yeah, I think it's very helpful to have had children if you're going to write children. I know when I'm writing children, I think, well, you know, when my son was six, he did this, or when he was four, he did that, or whatever. But I had to tell my children that they are not at all in this book. There's nothing about them that has anything to do with the people in the book. Not, and, and In fact, I had to tell everyone I knew because people kept looking for themselves. Yeah, people do, don't they? It's right. it's really fascinating. I mean, I write about a different time and place, even, and people are still, uh, so am I in there? No. <laughs> Sorry. You, you know, the, Aileen's sister is quite a character. She's kind of terrible. She's a lawyer. She has, um, she's just like not a very nice person and not very loving. And, and Aileen tries so hard. So my sister read the book and I had to, I felt like I had to warn her. This has nothing to, this is not at all you. My sister runs a dive shop and hotel in Panama. She is not a lawyer. So, but I just felt the need to explain to her, this is not you and it's not based on you in any way. I'm so, I was so worried about hurting anyone's feelings, you know. Right. So speaking of hurt feelings, uh, Eileen, as you just mentioned, has an ex-husband, and he's not exactly a joy. Um, do you want to give us a hint about what went wrong for them? Who can ever really know what goes on, what goes wrong in a marriage? But finding out that her husband was having an affair was kind of a wake-up call for Eileen. Maybe, you know, maybe communication was already failing when her ex-husband decided to sleep with a neighbor's wife but but when Aileen suggests that they go into couples counseling Neil suggests that they try to have an open marriage what's the most obnoxious thing or, or let's say one of the most obnoxious things a spouse can say I think that's about the most obnoxious <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so even before the first murder takes place, um, we learn that all is not well among the staff at the Whipton Sift Cafe. Um, several of them have ties to the former owner, Gary Vanza. What's going on there? Well, Gary's a neighbor. Um, Aileen and her family live on the sixth floor. Gary and his third wife live across the hall. So his sister works at the cafe and his daughter works at the cafe. And now um, his third wife's son wants to get a job. And Gary has asked Aileen to hire him, but he's kind of a, a difficult 
character who has been a drug dealer, who has had trouble with the law, and Aileen is balking about it. But Gary is known to lots of people. So aside from the sixth floor connection, he was the owner of the cafe, and he sold it to Aileen when um, she used her divorce her divorce settlement to buy the cafe and he made it possible for her by giving her a price that she could afford. And part of that was just, he, he had plenty of money and he didn't need it. And he was tired of running the cafe. He wanted, he, he didn't like all the details about it. So, so he's a central character, um, for Aileen and her family. He's also very good friends with her dad. And and he's the neighbor who stops by all the time to make sure things are working and will fix something. And one time when her refrigerator, refrigerator was failing and she was going to need to buy a new one, she came home the next day and there was a new refrigerator already installed that he had installed, Gary, and he had filled it with fruit and vegetables already. That's the kind of guy he was. So he's really important to everybody. What else can you tell us about his character? I mean, he seems like a very nice man, and yet he seems to have an absolute gift for surrounding himself with dysfunctional wives and children. Right. So it's that idea that I, it's an idea that I like playing with that he's, yes, he's a good person. He has a heart of gold. There's so much that's good about him. He's generous. He's such a good friend. But yes, his taste in women, horrible. Or his inability to raise children with character. How did that happen? Maybe not just lacking character, but lacking sensibility, lacking self uh, preservation skills. What about him that we don't see that I sort of built in the background, that he's the kind of person that ostensibly is wonderful, but there's something lacking there. It's something that um, maybe he's so busy building himself as a wonderful character that he forgets the people closest to him. Or maybe he never even wanted to discipline his children because he wanted to be the good guy. And we all know what happens when you don't discipline or when you don't pay attention. So, yeah, so all three of his children are really troubled in some way. And his wives are difficult as well. We don't find out anything about the first wife. We don't know yet anything about the first wife. She's not really mentioned. I'm not even sure if I mentioned her first name. But the second wife is certainly uh, difficult. But we don't really know what she was like as a wife. We just know she's difficult now. Who wouldn't be? She went through a divorce. She remarried. Her second husband was killed in a car crash. She had a tough life. So maybe she's not as difficult as she is just troubled. And the third wife is definitely, Joan is definitely a case, really a case. And um, hard to know how to define that, but don't we all know people who married inappropriate spouses or who are living with inappropriate people that you wonder? I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. 
Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Yeah, I think we do. Um, and it kind of feeds back into what you were saying about Gary with his kids. I mean, we don't know what drives him uh, or what appealed to him in Joan, who's definitely a piece of work. But maybe it's also that, you know, the same instinct that causes him to buy Aline a refrigerator causes him to just step back and not stand up when Joan does things that are troubling. But don't forget, she's also a knockout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there are men for whom that's the be-all, end-all. Yeah, that's true. Including Aileen's former husband. Aileen's former husband is definitely one of those. But yes, I am implying that Gary was kind of like that too. So tell us a little bit more before we go on to other people about Aileen's former husband. I mean, I, you just mentioned what the issue was with him as a husband, but who, who is he independently of being a husband? Aileen met him in college. He was a little bit older than her, but she met him at a dinner party at Brian and Dennis, her next door neighbors, and Gary and his second wife were there. A lot of the cast of characters were at that dinner party, and she was there helping. So when she meets him, he was just a young guy, and she didn't think much of him, but then she ran into him a couple more times, and he was just so much fun. They had so much fun going out, seeing, and everything, by the way, is based in Chicago, where I live. Um, I had a lot of fun uh, writing about places that I had been that very week, or or I went out to those places just to make sure. Um, so there's a, a scene on a boat, and I obviously went out on the lake on the boat as research. Luckily, it was in the 90s that day. So when you're on a boat on the lake and it's the 90s outside, you know, the temperature is rising, it, you feel like you're in heaven. It's so beautiful out there. Neil came up with all these great plans and took her out on that boat and took her to baseball games and they had so much fun. And only years later, she realized that all those activities were his mother's idea. As the years went by, she realized that she wasn't married to somebody who thought for himself. It took a long time for her to figure it out. She was busy um, first falling in love and then at the marriage, the, I mean the wedding, and then having kids. And again, she wanted to have kids quickly because she was so lost without her mother and she wanted to be there for them. So she thought she had to have them right away. And it wasn't until her young, her baby, her third baby was born that, that she really came to terms with the kind of person she had married. He wasn't a good guy. He was full of himself and he had been given everything on a silver platter. His father had handed over a car dealership for him. And he used it as a kind of a playground. He took a different car every night, whatever he wanted. He had affairs with whoever was working there, which is always a terrible idea to be the boss and then have affairs with women working in his dealership. He just wasn't somebody of a, a, of, 
high character. And then Aileen is so worried because she doesn't have a good track record and she's worried, how can she teach her children to look for partners with character when she so failed at it? And that's when she turns to Ruthie. Ah, I was going to get to Ruthie. So tell us, tell us about Ruthie. Ruthie is her moral gauge. Her Ruthie is her compass almost. They met as freshmen. They were assigned as roommates, and they found out that their birthdays were three days apart, and um, August sixth and August 9. So Ruthie calls Aileen six, and Aileen calls Ruthie nine, and they also realize that they're birthdays were the same dates as the bombs dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So they call each other those names too. But they studied together. They took classes together in college. And Aileen, they they loved each other. They, they had similar hobbies. I spent some time talking about the kinds of things that they did together. And they both started working together at the Whipped and Sipped Cafe. And they both dreamt of owning or working together in a cafe and it is what they're doing they're living their dream so ruthie is the kind of person that who um aileen looks up to her in everything just about every question she has she knows ruthie will know the right answer it's almost as if she um ruthie is the role that her mother would have played And Ruthie is an observant Jewish woman that doesn't come out all that clearly in the book, except that there's so many things that she does that Aileen wishes she had those rules and those, that firm foundation to stand on because Aileen wasn't raised with any religion. Her father believed in patriotism before anything. And her mother, when she was alive, believed in doing good for the world, volunteering and doing good. And she was a wonderful person, but nobody, neither of the parents had a a religious or any foundation that actually had rules. And Aileen seems to be hungry for those rules. So she looks at Ruthie, who is a strict vegan. She looks and wishes that she could be that admirable, but she eats chicken, and she can't follow a, a strict diet like that. Still, she wishes she she did. And she's always, she, Aileen and her kids are always invited over to Ruthie and Ruthie's husband, Benji, for their Sabbath dinners, which are vegan, but have all kinds of beautiful aspects of them that Aileen just wishes she had. So Ruthie is a character that, um, she's an angel to Aileen. And when I wrote her, I took all of my, the friends that I have loved over the years and their best qualities and the things that they've said that I've, that have moved me. And I put them all into Ruthie. And sometimes when I talk to those friends, I, I, I think about it. I think you're so much like Ruthie. Oh yeah. That's cause I made you, I made Ruthie in your image. That's a lovely tribute. 
Because the various attacks involve people Eileen knows, uh, and she begins to fear that she or her family will be attacked, and in part because of the setup in the apartment building that you mentioned, she takes a very active interest in the investigation. But she's not the actual investigator. That's Frank Shaw, an attractive man uh, who we soon discover has a very short and somewhat embarrassing history with Eileen. What's his story? So he's also a divorced guy, which we don't find out right away. He has older children, so they don't get mentioned all the time. And he's uh, he was a police officer at the time when she met him, that embarrassing time that she met him. And now, eight years later, he's a homicide detective. So she had been she was pregnant at the time, so um, he doesn't recognize her right away, and she had been so involved in, uh, she had gone into labor with her youngest son when she met him, so she wasn't really paying attention to anybody around her. Neither of them recognized each other. And when he's called in um, and starts questioning all the different people who were near where the murder took place, who were close, you know, closely related um, or nearby, some at some point he recognizes her and she's just mortified worrying because he saw her when uh, she was at her worst and he actually held her hand during her um, labor and delivery uh, when her ex-husband didn't manage to get to the hospital in time so it's not clear right away that there's any kind of relationship possible she doesn't even know that he's divorced or if he's married or she doesn't know anything about him but he seems nice, so at first he's just a detective, and as the story progresses, she's kind of drawn to him because he's a good-looking guy, and she's so lonely, but then he does something irritating to her about this, um, about the case. He asks questions that are upsetting, or he doesn't follow a lead, or he doesn't, uh, he doesn't think that she should meddle because she's not really a detective. So there's a little bit of push and pull in her relationship with him. And I don't think we know what happens even, but even at the end, I think I leave it open so that that there can be more relationship in the future. Because, yeah, because this is a series. And yes, I think I did. I liked the guy. I think he was a solid I liked him guy. I too, yes. <laughs> Definitely a better choice than Neil. <laughs> I know. And he owned a boat, but I had him given up his boat in the um, in his divorce settlement. So that how, that's how she finds out he had a boat. That raises a question for me. Uh, I'm always curious when people write murder mysteries, how they approach it. What, what's your writing process? And do you have to do research, you know, other than going out on the boat in Lake Michigan on <laughs> a 90-degree day? I also had to go to a lot of different restaurants to check out their food. I needed to do a lot of fun things in Chicago to cross them out if I was going to use them or not. You know, it was all research. I considered everything I did research. Good idea. (laughs) Here's what happened. It was in 2016. And one day I read an editorial and it was by a woman who had survived breast cancer. It was a beautiful article about women's bodies. And I saw that she taught that she was a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop and that she taught creative writing at the University of Chicago. And I Googled her and found her and I asked if she would be willing to teach privately 
And um, it turns out, first of all, yes. And secondly, that she lives really close by. She lives in Wrigleyville by where the Cubs play. And I started working with her. Her name is S.L. Weisenberg, and she's actually um, written several fabulous books. And I started working with her. I showed her. I gave her the first chapter of this story. Aileen, Ruthie, don't remember what else. And um, I was very proud of that. I worked it up and got it all ready for her. And she took out a pencil case and started marking it up and basically crossed off almost every line. Or had little lines like, more of this, go inside, blah, blah, blah. I I was stunned. And I went home with that manuscript all marked up. And I sat down and slowly worked out everything she said to do. I, Whatever she crossed out or whatever she said, rewrite. Or whenever she said, um, make it into, oh, I think I had it in first person and she wanted it to be, she suggested third person. I did it all. And I came back the next week. Maybe it was two weeks later. So proud. I'm going to be, she's going to love this. Now I've done it. And she took out the pencil case again and again marked it up. And I thought, what? And so I, I just swallowed and listened to her and took that manuscript and went home again and spent another week. And I'm talking four, five, six hours a day doing everything. I took about four weeks of that. I, I was really surprised. I kept thinking, okay, now this is, look how much better... Nope, she still had stuff to say. Finally, four, maybe five weeks later, she said, okay, for now, this is going to work. Why don't you, now you can keep going. So then the next week I brought the next chapter and the same thing happened. You'd think I'd have learned, but um, it just kept going on like that. And I would, week after week, I'd go in and she would mark it up. And finally I had, you know, 280 pages or something like that. And every week I'd say, do you know who did it? You know, I mean, first there has to be the crime. And then, um, and then I'd keep asking her and she couldn't figure it out or she'd guess. Finally, she got to the end. And, um, and then the next week I came in and I had, and she did the whole thing again. She started from the beginning and again, crossing out. Oh my God. I worked with Sandy Weisenberg for about two years until she said, now you're ready. You were exchanging chapters with her. You didn't have an outline or anything like that. You were writing, you were working out as you went. Correct. I knew in my head what was going to happen. But sometimes if she said something or if she guessed something, I would change it. Sometimes she would say, this character is just so evil. You know, maybe, maybe there's something good about him. I had that tendency. My husband pointed out that there are a lot of terrible men in this story. Hmm. But if you read it, you notice that for every, they're terrible maybe, but there's always something redeeming about them. So last but not least, where did the recipes come from? So they came from all over the place. Uh, If I go to a restaurant and I eat something and I love it, I know that they've used way too much salt and butter and I'm not a strict vegetarian. I sometimes will eat chicken. I'll eat fish. Uh, But when I'm in restaurants, I only eat vegetarian. And so I would eat something and I think I can make this better. I can make this healthier. And so I'd go home and I'd work at it and I until I did it or the baking. 
I have been um, sneaking food, sneaking healthy food, as I said, into my baked goods since my children were little. I had one child who wouldn't touch a vegetable, and he had no idea that every single chocolate cake, everything I made had something else in it, even the chocolate chip cookies. So I did a lot of experimenting. So what about you? Uh, do you already have a new whipped and sipped novel underway? I do. I have about 170 pages, and it's called Smothered. So all the titles of the books are going to be food terms, but also crime terms. So Smothered is the second one, and the third one is going to be, I think, Soaked. That's as far as I got. That sounds like a lot of fun. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Galit. Thanks, Carolyn. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I am C.P. Leslie, and today I've been talking with G.P. Gottlieb, the host of New Books and Literature, a podcast channel in the New Books Network, about her brand new novel, Battered. Find out more about her and her channel at www.gpgottlieb.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with the two of us and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creative community. As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do slash nbn slash join. Goodbye for now, and don't forget to stop by again soon to hear G.P. Gottlieb's next interview on the New Books Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.